0: Welcome, thanks for joining us today. If this is your first time, we give a special welcome to you and say thanks for checking us out and certainly hope it's not your last time. And then if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you, but we're glad you're here. And I hope the week hasn't been too complicated for any of us as we've survived the storm and now we're leaning into what next week will bring. Last week I shared with you the good work that we did on Saturday in our pots and pans inventory room downstairs. And I just want to remind you that we have always an ongoing need to be able to uh, service our friends and neighbors with slightly used, uh, gently used, uh, even new if you get a good deal on kitchenware, everything from pots and pans to table service to dishes, uh, even tea towels. Uh, Just a way for us to love on people who are in need. And we do that in partnership with uh, love in the name of Christ. And just want to share too that they're in the process now having opened a store on Park Avenue just across from the Holiday Inn of developing uh, relationships with people in a season of life where life may be difficult. So if you've got some furniture or some bedding or towels or other things that are in good condition that you can share, uh, again, just uh, send an email to hello at lindenroad.church and we'll connect with you to get that uh, to them. But we're grateful for that partnership and how we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to those that are in need. We gather here online to worship Jesus and we'll do that through worship music here in just a moment and then we'll lean into the next installment in our series, The Return of the King. One of the best days of my life was the day that Melinda said that she would be my wife. Another best day was when we became parents, not just the first time or second time, but the third time. What a joy it is, an amazing day those days are. If we had time, I'd love to sit down and ask you to tell me about some of your personal best days. They probably would include the day that you made a profession of faith to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord. It could be the day that you graduated from high school or college. And the day you got married, and if you are, the days your children were born. And if you have any. What I want to talk to you about today, though, is that your best days are all ahead of you. God's word is pretty clear in saying to us as his people that our best days are in our future. Uh, They're recorded in the last chapters of this final book in the New Testament called the book of Revelation. And that's what we want to walk through together today is just looking at those best days. Last week we looked at what the Bible has to say about uh, some of the worst days for the people uh, that are on planet earth. The last three and a half years of what we call the tribulation period will be, as the Bible tells us, of great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. But after those days are through, when we see the return of the king and then a thousand year period of his reign on the earth, These are gonna be really great and good and best days for all of us. The Bible goes into a lot of great detail about these days in Revelation, particularly in chapters 19 and 20. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can take a look here in the worship notes. Let's take a, a dive in and see what we can learn. Revelation 19 is the fourth to the last chapter of the Bible and it's a pretty easy to find. Go to the back of the Bible and turn left. We're going to cover a lot of information today like we have the last couple weeks, and I don't want you to miss anything, so click on the worship notes here or get out your Bible or both, and let's lean in. And as we do that, uh, let's begin first with a simple prayer uh, for illumination. Pray this with me. Lord Jesus, speak to me. Amen. When our kids were at home, we'd take them to see uh, the movies, a Disney movie or I can remember in particular taking our son Jed to the midnight showing of the first uh, installment of the Lord of the Rings series, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. And we had to encourage them that there might be some points within the movie where they might get scared, but uh, together we would lean into the storyline and that good things would happen before it was all over. And so we would explain that to them, and even I can remember Jed being kind of blown away at the end of the first installment of The Lord of the Rings because it left all sorts of questions, and we were going to have to wait another year for the next installment to come out. But in all these things, I think it reminds us too, and one of the reasons why movies connect with us, is that God has a similar kind of way of dealing with us when we're not quite sure of what's going on. And sometimes we need someone to encourage us to get to the end of all the real-life drama that's coming soon. I mean, even the season that we've been living in uh, over these many months, almost three years with the global pandemic. And now they just the uncertainty of things that are going on in the international arena with uh, the Ukraine and the Russians and just all those things that can unsettle all of us. And so when we look at scripture, uh, and that's why we're looking at this particular series uh, out of the book of Revelation, we can see that God is still sitting on his throne and is in charge. So God is uh, careful to tell us that our world is going to have a bad part, uh, but the good would triumph ultimately in the end. The good and bad part is Revelation chapter 19 and 20. Last week we walked through the conversation and, and we learned for three and a half years that this three people, the, what we call the unholy trinity, the dragon, the antichrist, and the false prophet would have a significant influence on the events of our world. This unholy trinity or this diabolical trio will deceive as many as they can and they're gonna persecute Christians and Jews and control the world's banking system. This will be a terrible time and will culminate in the ultimate battle scene at the end of time when the Euphrates River will dry up and an army of millions will march down the river and take up the battle positions in the valley of Armageddon in northern Israel. Literally all hell is about to break loose when suddenly we'll hear a trumpet sound and the war ends before it begins as the Messiah returns and he slays his enemies with the sword of his mouth. Again, Revelation 19.11 says, And there was a white horse, its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule the nations with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of fierce anger of God the Almighty, and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I can only imagine a reporter from CNN or Fox News standing on one of the hillsides that surround the valley where he's talking into his microphone about which armies are staging where when all of a sudden a trumpet blast drowns out his voice and Jesus descends to end the battle in a way that no reporter would have ever imagined. Continuing on, the writer says in verse 19, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider of the horse, and against his army. They didn't stand a chance. And he goes on to say in verse 20, but the beast was taken prisoner and along with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs in its presence. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds ate their fill of their flesh. Wow, Uh, this is pretty dramatic stuff here, right? And so the great days that are coming, are simply this, first, it's the return of the king, it's the return of Christ himself, Revelations chapter 19, one through 21, and then two, his millennial reign, with Revelation 20, verses one through 10. So let me unpack a little bit more about these. During Jesus Christ's return and the days that follow, we're gonna see there are 11 major events that are gonna take place, and so here's the first one. The voice of the archangel will summon the elect to meet Jesus in the clouds. We heard this a couple weeks ago and when we looked at the verse out of First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. This was what was called the first resurrection. It's the great resurrection of those that are righteous in Christ. And then in the same moment, the angel will summon birds to clean up the mess that's about to occur. That's verse 17 of chapter 19. Seriously, take a look at this. An angel standing in the sun called out in a loud voice saying to all the birds flying high overhead, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of the mighty, and the flesh of horses and of their riders, and the flesh of everyone both free and slave, great and small. That's verses 17 and 18. One of the worst things about a battle is the cleaning up of the carnage afterwards, right? Uh, But God's going to take care of that. Then the third thing that happens is that the Antichrist and the false prophet will be thrown into the lake of fire. That's verse 20 of chapter 19. The Antichrist is the beast from the sea, and we learned about him last week. The false prophet is the beast from the land, and we know this, that the lake of fire is eternal hell. Right now, there is a temporary heaven where all the saints who've died are abiding until this moment, and there is a temporary hell called Hades. The permanent hell is called Gehenna in scripture, The antichrist and the false prophet will be the first to enter Gehenna. It's a lake of fire that constantly burns uh, without consuming. It's the eternal place of the absence of God. And since God is all good and all loving and all joyful and all hopeful, when you remove these things absolutely, there's nothing but sorrow and pain and loneliness and regret. We know that the absence of light is darkness, right? So the absence of beauty is tragedy, and this is why God has done so much to redeem as many as possible. He wants no one to experience his absence. But because he loved us enough to give us free will, he will not overpower our free will. Anyone who chooses to spend eternity without God will spend eternity without God and without all his accompanying attributes. As the two beasts are being imprisoned in hell, the fourth action that takes place is the armies of the Antichrist will be destroyed by Jesus' words. That's verse 21. He won't have to lift a finger. Just as he spoke the world into existence, he will speak the end of these armies. And then the final verse of chapter 19 says, The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all of the birds ate the fill of their flesh. So the fifth action on the day of Jesus' return is, God's avian cleanup crew will clear the battlefield. That's uh, the last part of verse 21 there. Now, then chapter 20 opens with uh, the demise of Satan. And again, our friend, the Apostle John says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the abyss, and a great chain in his hand. Now, you may have heard this word abyss before. Uh, If we look in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, Jesus uh, casts out the demons of the man, on the Sea of Galilee and they beg him not to send them into the abyss. Now our biblical scholars and theologians believe that the abyss is a limitless pit where it feels like you're perpetually falling but you never hit the ground. So Satan will be bound and cast into the abyss. Verse two here he says, he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years He threw him into the abyss, closed it, and put a seal on it so he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. Then comes the good part. Jesus turns his attention from dealing with the bad guys to rewarding the good guys. So that starting on that very day, our seventh event is this, that the martyrs and believers will reign with Christ. It's verse 4 of chapter 20. Look at this. Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. So just like financial giving, God always returns more to us than we give to him. Those who've given their lives for his cause will receive thrones to reign on. And also those who are faithful to follow him and resist worshiping the beast, will also reign with him. And then look at the rest of the verse. He says, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. For how long? (laughs) A thousand years. Now, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, but to remind you that the word 1,000 years in, in the Latin is millennium. So Christians call this the final thousand years of planet Earth, the millennium. It's an incredible time that I want to unpack a little bit more for us. Again, the Apostle John says, All the saints and martyrs, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. So verses 4 and 5 of chapter 20. And then he says, this is the first resurrection, verse 5. There are two resurrections at the end of time. The first is the resurrection of the righteous. They are raised from the dead to reign with Christ on earth for a thousand years. The second resurrection is the resurrection of the unrighteous unto eternal damnation. This takes place at the end of the thousand year millennium. And then verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. That's verse 6. The first resurrection takes place while Jesus is coming down in the clouds and we learned about it from our verse in 1 Thessalonians a few weeks ago and so Jesus returns and he returns with lightning and thunder and trumpet and earthquake. Uh, We talked about that last week. The earthquake splits the earth so that literally Jerusalem is lifted up and the land around it is changed. The prophet in the Old Testament, Zechariah says in chapter 14, on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it towards the western sea in summer and winter alike. On that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth and the Lord alone, his name alone, all the land, south of Jerusalem will be changed into a plain. But Jerusalem will be raised up and will remain on its site. People will live there and never again will there be a curse of complete destruction. So Jerusalem will dwell in security, verses 8 and 11 of chapter 14. The eighth event after Jesus' return is that Jerusalem will rise in elevation. That's in Zechariah 14.10. Right now, the holy city of Jerusalem is at about 2,700 feet. just a little bit higher than where we are here in north central Ohio. It's all that, not all that high. It will be lifted up, according to scriptures, like a throne for the Lord Jesus. Throughout the millennium... People will come to worship him there. The prophet Zechariah continues, Then all the survivors from the nations that came against Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king, the lord of armies, and to celebrate the festival of shelters. Just so you know, the festival of shelters is also called the festival of booths. It's an Old Testament practice. And it commemorates Israel's exodus from Egypt. Only now it will commemorate our entrance into the real promised land. So the ninth event will be, there will be an annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem, according to Zechariah 14, verse 16. According to Zechariah, God creates an incentive on everyone to come on this annual pilgrimage. He says, should any families of the earth not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of armies, rain will not fall on them. That's Zechariah 14, verse 17. Those who are lazy or complacent about worshiping the king will probably only make that mistake once. After they miss the rain for a year, they'll never miss the festival again. So what will this thousand years be like? Well, this much we know, Jesus will be king and he will rule over us like no earthly ruler ever has with justice and love and no hidden or personal agenda. The saints who participate in the first resurrection will be there. We'll all have resurrected bodies, which like Jesus' resurrected body will be eternal. They'll will never die. And like Jesus after his resurrection, We're going to be able to eat, and I'm guessing to be able to walk through walls and and to cover large distances in a very uh, little time. There will also be unredeemed people there. Those who survived the Battle of Armageddon, probably because they weren't in the Valley of Armageddon when Jesus returned, those will be the ones who are reluctant to come to worship him on this annual pilgrimage, probably. The Bible has several passages that describe what life will be like during this thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. Here's one. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fatted calf will be together, and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into the snake's den. There will be peace so thorough that the predators will no longer eat prey. Verse 9 says... They will not harm or destroy each other or my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. That's Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. And then the prophet Isaiah goes on in chapter 65 and says, People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and others live in them. They will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree. My chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or bear children destined for disaster, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle, but the serpent's food will be dust. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. verses 21 through 25 of chapter 65 of Isaiah. Work will be meaningful. People, it says, will live in harmony, and that's to last for 10 centuries. Right now, you can experience what it's like to live a righteous life should you choose to live a righteous life, and you can experience what it's like to have a righteous family should your family choose to live righteously. But during the millennium, we'll experience what it's like to have a righteous government because Jesus will be our governor our king again the prophet isaiah says the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god eternal father prince of peace the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end he will reign on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever that's isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 through 7. And then God's going to do something that I don't really understand. Maybe it's because his love is so vast, he refuses to give up on anyone. And then in Revelation chapter 7, it says, When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. Now, the Bible doesn't say why God does this. Maybe because of his compassion. Maybe because there must someday be a final reckoning for all who do not trust in the Lord. And this reckoning comes when Satan is released. The full passage says this, When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. So there will be a lot of people alive during the millennium who are not Christ followers. Verse 9 of chapter 20 says, They came up across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the encampment of the saints, the beloved city. It's interesting here that the millennium ends in a rebellion by all the non-believers led by Satan once again. So our tenth event here is that after a thousand years, Satan will be released and he will lead a rebellion. One would think that Satan would have learned his lesson because Jesus is unbeatable. The story of this phase of the planet Earth ends with this. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophets are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever that's revelation chapter 20 verse 10. so finally satan will be thrown into the lake of fire and then our final event number 11 satan will be thrown into the lake of fire then comes the what the bible calls the great white throne judgment the judgment that separates the sheep from the goats and then comes the what's called the burma seat judgment That's the reward ceremony for each believer. Immediately following that will be the new creation. And we're gonna look at that next week as we wrap up. So you don't wanna miss it. The new creation is the new heavens and the new earth, which is gonna replace our current earth and become our eternal home. My friends, blessed and holy are all those who share in the first resurrection, the scripture tells us. And so we need to rejoice and we wanna look forward to all of that because the best is yet to come. Let's pray.